Did you notice that the building smelled like waffles when you walked in here today? I liked it. And uh, I think we're going to add another part of our mission and vision statement moving forward to waffles. No, what, what you were smelling was uh, something that our student ministry was doing. They had a, 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 a waffle station back there for the high school kids and junior high kids to come and have a little fellowship. So if you went back there, if you followed your nose to the back of the atrium there and you got turned away, don't take it personal. You're just not in high school. That's it. That's all, that's all it is. So, hey, before we get started here today, um, I would like to give you just a quick update on, on how things are going out at the West Campus. For those that may not know, um, we are building a second campus out on the west side of Bella Vista, right off the highway, the new bypass at the Highlands Boulevard exit. In case you didn't know, if you've driven by there, the leaves are coming down and so are the trees. You can actually start to see the construction. But since not everybody can get out there, let me just show you what it looks like. This is it right now. Pretty good, huh? So it's really starting to come together and um, just really excited about what God's doing. Um, you can see here our big communion storage tank that we just had installed. <laughs> I've had more people ask me what this tank is. It is part of the fire suppression system for the building. It's a long story, but you won't see it when the building's done, okay? You will not see the big, you know, um, I already know that we've caught the attention of China and Russia on their satellites, <laughs> wanting to know what that is. But uh, anyway, man, it, things are just couldn't be going better. They're really happy about this. Uh, not all of you have seen a, a picture of what it's gonna look like when we're done, so let me show you. That's what it's gonna look like when we're done. So we are really excited about that, you guys. Sometime next summer, it's gonna be done, and um, it's hard to say, we don't wanna say it will be exactly this day, because you know how these things go. So anyway, uh, but man, just be praying about it. If you would, let's join together. Let's thank God for what he's doing out there, and let's continue just to put this in front of him. So would you pray with me? Dear God, we just thank you for the work that's happening, not just here off Reardon Road, but also on the west side. And Lord, we are so excited about what that will be, and what you will do through that. And so, Lord, we're just praying that there'd be an evangelistic explosion take place. Revival would come through our community, Lord. And Lord, we wanna be a part of it. And Lord, we just pray that there'd be a, a movement from you that would just impact thousands of people. And Lord, we wanna be a part of that, and we, we believe this is a part of that. So, God, we just pray for your continued uh, blessing. Um, Lord, we pray for your favor as this continues to move, move forward and the protection of all those working on this project. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Hey, got your Bibles? Please open to Exodus chapter 12. That's where we're gonna pick up today. And if this is your very first time with us here today, we are in a series right now called Rescued, and we are studying our way through the book of Exodus. And... Um, what we have seen so far and where we left off last week is we left off learning about this 10th and final plague. Do you remember what that was? That we saw the first nine and they devastated Egypt, but this 10th one was a doozy all on its own. Do you remember what it was? Yeah, the death of the firstborn of all of Egypt. And it is estimated that somewhere, we don't know for sure, but somewhere between 100,000 and 200,000 people died on that one night. Now, it makes sense then if that many people died, why there was loud wailing across the country of Egypt. It was a devastating plague, but that was not the case for the Israelites, was it? 
No, no, no. The, the Israelites, what did they do instead? They believed what Moses told them was from God. And then they responded to it in faith. And what did that response look like? They sacrificed a, a lamb or a goat without blemish. And then they, they did what? They took the blood from that sacrifice and they put it over the door frames of their houses. Is this coming back to you? And, and then when the Lord's destroyer came over the land that night, around midnight, he saw the houses that had the blood of the lamb covering the doorpost and he passed over them and did not take the firstborn of that home. They were literally saved by the blood of the lamb. And what we looked at last week is this, that the Passover lamb of Exodus is actually a picture of Jesus Christ who became our Passover lamb. So just like the Passover lamb that was sacrificed that night of the 10th plague and shed its blood for the deliverance of the Israelites from death, just like that, Jesus became our Passover lamb who was sacrificed and shed his blood on the cross for our deliverance from our sins and ultimately the deliverance from sin's worst consequence, which is death followed by eternity without the Lord. So this, this 10th plague was such a significant event in, for the Israelites that God told them to do what? He said, I don't care under any circumstance, no matter what comes, you do not forget what happened here on this night of this 10th plague. And to help them remember, God gave them some very specific instructions that they were to follow to a T, and these are instructions that they were to follow and do every year from that point forward, from that night of that 10th plague, all the way into the future for generations to come to remember the events of this night. These instructions had to do with what they were supposed to eat, how they were supposed to cook it, what they were supposed to cook it with, how they were to dress, and what manner they were to eat it. It was very, very specific instructions. And uh, that's what we're gonna look at today. We're gonna look at these very important, specific instructions. And I know what some of you are thinking right now. Oh, really? Can't we just skip to the next good part? Because just one chapter beyond where we are, that's where the Israelites are standing at the shores of the Red Sea and Pharaoh's army is coming up behind them and God opens the walls of the water and they go through on dry land. Is this coming back to you? You've read it? I hope. And Pharaoh's army chases them and the waters come down and drowns Pharaoh's army. And some of you, there's this temptation because I have the temptation too to go, can we just skip to the good part? Why are we spending time with Passover instructions? Because let's be honest, the Israelites crossing over the Red Sea with the, mount, the walls of water and Pharaoh's, that's a little bit more exciting than, hey, roast that lamb over an open fire. <laughs> you kind of go a little deeper in the Old Testament. Let's just be honest about something. David versus Goliath is a lot more exciting than, hey, eat that lamb with bitter herbs. Daniel the lion's den. Now that story in the book of Daniel, that's much more inspiring than make sure you don't put any yeast in your bread. But I'm gonna share something with you that you may not agree with initially, but the more you think about it, I think you'll maybe come to see it from my point of view. As inspiring as these moments are in the Bible, the passing of the Red Sea, David and Goliath, Daniel Alliance, as exciting as those are, they do not connect you to Jesus. 
They do not connect you to the new covenant like the Passover does. And that is why I could never skip over these details because it is these details of the Passover that have direct implication for our walk with Jesus today. And I believe that you're gonna see it a lot more clearly by the time that we're done. I love the inspirational Old Testament stories, but it's the Passover that connects us to Jesus like nothing else. Exodus 12, we saw that the, Moses taught them to make preparations for the Passover, and we saw real quickly they cooked the lamb, and they shed the blood over the, the doorpost, and that's where we left off last week. Now, I want you to pick up in chapter 12, verse 8, because there's a couple more instructions that they were given that night that they had to follow to a T, and here's the first three of them. That same night, they were to eat the meat roasted over the fire along with the bitter herbs and bread made without yeast. These are very specific. Three details, don't you mess up. Remember it this way. And the first one was what? You cook that lamb over an open fire. Why in the world would God care that they cook the lamb over an open fire? It's a good question. But God cares very much. The, the instructions get even more specific. Look at verse nine. Do not eat the meat raw or boiled in water, but roast it over a fire with the head, legs, and internal organs. Do not leave any of it till morning. If some is left till morning, you must burn it. So that's very specific. And it's kind of gross, to be quite honest with you. Is that how you cook your food? With the head, and the guts in it and everything, that's not, that doesn't sound very appealing to me. But these were God's instructions. Head, legs, internal organs. Quite literally, you roast that thing all together over an open fire. And here is the point, here is the reason. You are to keep that sacrifice completely whole, all in one piece. That's the, that's the reason. God didn't want him to do anything else. You just keep it whole. Now there's another detail that we learn about about this specific preparation of this lamb, but you gotta go down to Exodus 12, 46 to find it. Let's look down there real quickly. What does it say? It must be eaten inside the house, take none of the meat outside the house, and then don't miss this detail, do not break any of the bones. So let me just put it all together for you so you can kind of see it all in one piece, this instruction about how they are to prepare the lamb. They are to, to cook the whole lamb, head, legs, and internal organs all together. They are not to eat it raw. They are not to boil it at all. They're rather to roast it over an open fire and they are to not break any of the bones. What did we learn last week? We learned what? That, that the Passover lamb of Exodus is indeed a picture of Jesus Christ, our Passover lamb in the New Testament. That this lamb was to be without blemish, without defect, and Jesus, our Passover lamb, was perfect, without blemish, without defect, who would shed his blood for the sins of the world. Jesus was sinless. Jesus himself was completely whole in every way you can imagine. And just like the Passover lamb, none of Jesus' bones were broken either. And this is actually a fulfillment of prophecy. When Jesus 
um, came time for him to go to the cross and they, they crucified him there. I've moved on into the New Testament now. They wanted Jesus off that cross very quickly. There was some urgency to get Jesus killed and the other criminals. Why were they so in a rush to do it? It's because on the day they crucified him was a Friday and the Sabbath started at sundown and they wanted Jesus' body off the cross so they wouldn't have to deal with it on Sabbath. Now, this is um, a very common thing that when criminals back in the first century were crucified, sometimes they would linger and languish on the cross for days before they died. They did not know how long Jesus would survive. So a common practice back then was to go out and break the legs of those hanging on the cross so they could no longer push their bodies up to breathe. And if you can't do that anymore, you suffocate and you die very quickly. And so that's exactly what they're gonna do. They went out to break Jesus' legs. And when they got out there though, this is what happened instead. This is John 19, verse 33. But when they came to Jesus and found that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. Instead, one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear, bringing a sudden flow of blood and water, which is a sign of death. The man who saw it has given testimony, and his testimony is true. He knows that he tells the truth, and he testifies so that you also may believe. These things happen so that the scriptures would be fulfilled. And what were the scriptures? What did they say about Jesus? Not one of his bones will be broken. And we read that in Psalm chapter 34. So if you go back to the time of the Exodus, in Exodus 12, The Israelites back then, they had no real concept of Jesus like we do today. But God already knew that some 1,500 years into the future, he would be sending Jesus into the world who would be the Passover lamb, the perfect picture of the Passover lamb, the Messiah for the sins of the world. God instructed the Israelites, do not break any bones in that lamb because he already knew that none of Jesus' bones would ever be broken and there would be prophecy about it. So here's what's happening. Even though the Israelites didn't understand why God said this, we know today that God had a bigger plan. God always has a bigger plan. God has a providential, sovereign sight on the world. Your life, my life, everything happening from the beginning to the end. And God already knew that Jesus was going to be a picture for everyone to know that he is the Messiah all the way up to us in Bella Vista, Arkansas in 2022. And don't you dare break his bones because he's a picture of my Messiah. It's incredible. God knew it. So these very important instructions, very specific instructions, were really teaching tools for later generations in many ways. What was the second thing they said um, to do with the preparation of this lamb? You are to cook it with bitter herbs. Remember that, verse eight? Bitter herbs. I'm no chef, but I do know my way around a buffet line. And when you say you're gonna cook something with bitter herbs, to me that sounds like you're gonna ruin it. And that's the point. There's a very specific reason why bitter herbs, and you know why? They were to roast this lamb for every year moving forward with bitter herbs as a reminder, a very distasteful reminder of their bitter bondage in Egypt. That's the whole purpose. That when they eat this lamb, you're gonna taste that bitterness in your mouth and you are to remember that. And it's not supposed to be a good memory. There is something about food that connects us to memories. 
There's something about aroma and, and food that just naturally brings us back to moments. You know, you get one whiff of grandma's chocolate cake and it takes you back to your childhood, doesn't it? I remember when I was a kid, um, we had a family in our church that was from, from Thailand. And when I say kid, I'm talking first, second grade. And um, the mother of this family, her name was Toy. That was her name, Toy. And Toy was church famous. And what I mean by church famous is no one could cook like Toy. I mean, she could just cook up a storm and everybody knew she's the best cook in the whole church. And this is back in a day when church potlucks were very common. Anybody grow up in a time when you had church potlucks? Everybody brings a dish to share? All right. Um, and so we had church potlucks all the time. And I remember every church potluck, I would say, what's Toy bringing? <laughs> and Toy had two dishes that are so profound in my memory. One was homemade wontons. And the other one was this um, very sweet, tender meat dish that I would later learn was called bulgogi. All right? All right, bulgogi. Yes, all right, bulgogi. <laughs> and, and every time I saw bulgogi and wontons on the church potluck, man, I was that kid sneaking in and out of the line to, you know, that was me. So in the fourth grade, we moved away, and I never saw a toy again. And I never had any of her cooking again, but I never forgot it. Now, fast forward 30 or so years, the timeline's not super clear. Somewhere from elementary school into my 30s, I was having a conversation with my mom, and I just said, hey, you remember that family at our church, you know, Toy and her family? And you remember the wontons and the meat she used to make? And my mom was like, oh yeah, oh man, I'll never, that was so good. And I said, I'd give anything for that again. And my mom goes, oh, I got the recipe. Yeah, she goes, Toy gave it to me over 30 years ago. It's in my recipe box. I'm like, what? You've been holding out all this time? So the next time I saw my mom, she made Toy's meat. That's what I called it. And the second I smelt it, I was back there again. And then I took a bite, and it was exactly, exactly what I remember from my childhood. And all of a sudden, I had memories from my childhood start to unlock in my mind that I hadn't thought about in years. Have you ever had this experience? I was that kid causing trouble, running the halls of the church, you know? I was that kid that would belly crawl from the back room during my dad's sermons to the front, underneath the pews, touching everybody's rear ends on my way up. That was me. I'm a preacher's kid, you know. It took me back. But that's what food does, doesn't it? It unlocks things. It unlocks memories. And even right now talking about it, you're thinking about things from grandma's house or growing up, whatever. And so this is the same deal here. Toys meet and having it again 30 years later unlocked positive memories. For the Israelites, eating bitter herbs with their roasted lamb would evoke negative memories, distasteful memories. And this is something that God, and I, I sometimes, did God just give us this, does God make food unlock memories for purposes just like this? You eat those bitter herbs and it doesn't taste good and you remember the bitter bondage that you were in in Egypt, don't you ever forget it? Now we're not there yet in the, in the book of Exodus, but there will come a time really shortly where, where the uh, Israelites will be in a very grumpy mood. And they'll start to say things like, man, we had it awfully good in Egypt. We should go back. And then they'll eat the Passover and the bitter herbs will remind them, you did not have it so good in Egypt. 
In fact, it was quite bitter. What was the, the third detail? They are to eat the lamb with bread that has no yeast in it, also called unleavened bread. Why is that? Because God did not want the Israelites hanging around Egypt waiting for the bread to rise. That's why. So on that night of the 10th plague, God says, don't you put any yeast in that bread. Don't you have anything that's gonna hold you back in Egypt. In fact, what the Israelites did, they had all this bread they made, they kept the yeast out of it. They just loaded it up on their shoulders and they marched right outside out of Egypt in front of all their friends and neighbors after they plundered all their gold and silver. And there's this concept here that, that you are gonna have to leave in a hurry and there is nothing that should tie you to Egypt. Now this actually is, uh, 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 it's not the same thing, but there's a similar thing when you get into the New Testament where, where God told the Israelites, don't put any yeast in your bread, don't hang around and wait for that bread to rise, don't be tied to Egypt, just get out of there. In the New Testament, yeast is often related to sin. And Jesus and others' New Testament talks about the yeast of certain people and how just a little bit of yeast can disrupt and ruin the whole batch. It's not the same thing we're talking here, but there is a similar parallel idea where back in the, in the time of Exodus, when it was time to go and it was time to follow Moses and the Lord to the promised land, don't you dare have a reason to stay behind. Don't stay in bondage. No, you just get that unleavened bread on your shoulder and get out of there. So it's a very important detail here. And if you look at verse 11, there's another important detail about it. This is how you are to eat it, with your cloak tucked into your belt. So that's this whole concept of girding up your loins. That means I'm getting ready to run. I'm getting ready to participate in activity. I don't need my clothes in the way. It's, it's a readiness posture. So you eat this meal with your cloak tucked in your belt, your sandal on your, sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. It's kind of like the same idea is that you are scarfing down your microwave meal by the door with your shoes on and your keys in your pocket and your phone and you're ready to go. It's that same kind of concept. And you eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. And there's a solid application here. Obey God and be ready. Oh, I could spend a lot of time on that. This, un, this unleavened bread at Passover also became part of its celebration in the years ahead that um, it's not a separate celebration, but it's connected to the hip with the Passover and it would be called the Festival of Unleavened Bread. And it happens at the same time. And if you look at verse 17, this is the instructions that Moses gave to them. He said, and again, this is all getting ready for the, the night of the 10th plague. He said, celebrate the festival of unleavened bread because it was on this very day that I brought your divisions out of Egypt. Celebrate this day as a lasting ordinance for generations to come. In the first month, you are to eat the bread made without yeast from the evening of the 14th day until the evening of the 21st day. And I don't wanna confuse you, but if you remember a couple of the specific details earlier in chapter 12, they were to select the Passover lamb on the 10th day, separate it, watch it to the 14th day to make sure it was without defect. They were to share the Passover meal on the 14th day together. And then for the next seven days, they are to eat nothing with yeast in it. That's the timeline here. And I don't want to confuse you because it can get kind of confusing, but that's what he's talking about. Verse 19, for seven days, no yeast is to be found in your houses 
and anyone, whether foreigner or native born, who eats anything with yeast in it must be cut off from the community of Israel. Eat nothing made with yeast. Wherever you live, you must eat unleavened bread. And that was during those seven days. So I hope as a church family here, we're starting to get the picture of Passover. It is what? It is a meal. The first one they ever had was the night of the 10th plague when the Israelites were saved by the blood of the lamb that was put on the doorpost over their houses. This lamb was to be without blemish. This sacrifice was to be kept whole. Not one bone of the sacrificial lamb was to be broken before they ate it. The sacrificed lamb should be shared with friends and neighbors. They are to eat it with bitter herbs as a reminder of their bitter bondage when they're in Egypt. And they were to eat unleavened bread for these seven days as a reminder of the readiness and the quickness that they had to leave Egypt. And when the day that God marched them out of that country in front of all their friends and neighbors. And I hope that you are also seeing the parallels to Jesus, our Messiah, that are just dripping off of these details of the Passover. Verse 14 says, this is a day you are to commemorate. For generations to come, you shall celebrate it as a festival to the Lord, a lasting ordinance. So in other words, in plain language, don't you ever forget it. That's the, that's the concept. And then Moses will repeat himself again 10 verses later in verse 24. He says, obey these instructions as a lasting ordinance for you and your descendants. When you enter the land that the Lord will give you that he promised. Now, this is a link back to Genesis. He, the Lord promised Abraham, I'm going to make a mighty nation out of you, which became the Israelites. God told Abraham, I'm going to give you a land that is all your own, which we know today as the promised land. It's the most fought over piece of ground on the planet. And this is connecting that promise. So he's saying, when you march out and you are given the promised land, which none of these people knew it at the time, but most of them would never see it. And it'd be 40 years into the future. But when you go there, observe this ceremony. The eating of the lamb with bitter herbs cooked over an open fire as a remembrance of their deliverance. Remember this ceremony. And when your children ask you, what does this ceremony mean to you? Then tell them, it is the Passover sacrifice to the Lord who passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt and spared our homes when he struck down the Egyptians. Then the people bowed down and they worshiped. So not only was the Passover a meal of remembrance for their deliverance, but God put in them, in their very, their very yearly routine, an opportunity to teach their children about all of this. In fact, God built the Passover so that the adults could be living links to the next generation. And so you can imagine the picture, they're, they're eating this lamb, Papa, why are, why are we roasting it over fire? Well, this is why. Oh, why is it so bitter? This is why. This is an opportunity for the adults to teach the next generation what it's like and what it means to be a part of God's chosen holy nation and what it means to walk with him. So we study this out, and I believe there is a natural question that arises from any kind of study like this like we're doing. And the question is this. Do we still celebrate the Passover today? I mean, God did say it is a lasting ordinance. 
For generations to come, you are to celebrate this. So my question for you is, do we, as the people of God today, do we still celebrate, or should we still celebrate, the Passover? What do you say, yes or no? You guys are about as decisive as the state of Georgia. All right, I'm just gonna say. (laughs) That wasn't a strong yes. And I I might have heard a little no in there too. I'm not sure. So the answer to that question is, do we still celebrate Passover today? The answer is this. It is yes. And it is no. And you're more confused than when you walked in here today, aren't you? Let me explain why it's a yes and why it's a no. Christians today, that's you and me, all the believers in Christ, we still share a meal of remembrance that commemorates our deliverance. We still do that today. But when Jesus came, he took the Passover meal and he changed it to reflect the new thing that he was doing. And you might be going, well, why did he do that? How come Jesus can change what God did? Because Jesus is God. That's why he can do that. He's the only one that can do that. Jesus is God. He's the one that started it. He's the one that can change it. And so the Passover actually transitioned into something that Jesus was doing. And it is the very difference between the terminology, between what we know as the old covenant and what we know today as the new covenant. Now to help everybody understand what I'm talking about, I've got to take you to the New Testament now. And I want to take you to the night of the Passover dinner that Jesus shared with his disciples, the very night that he would be betrayed by Judas, the very night that he would be arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane, the very night that his disciples could not keep their eyes open to pray with him. And in Matthew chapter 26, verse 17, the day started like this. On the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, where do you want us to make preparations for you to eat the Passover? Where have we read this language before? Well, we just did in the book of Exodus. Because this is a yearly celebration the Jews have been doing since the time of the Exodus. Now, there were times that the Israelites fell away from God and they stopped remembering the Exodus. But at this season, when Jesus came on, the Israelites were celebrating it faithfully. And so this is a normal time of thing. They do it every year. And this is also the reason why the streets of Jerusalem were quite busy the last week of Jesus' life. Because people were coming in to celebrate the yearly Passover together. And so the disciples are like, hey, it's the first day of unleavened bread, which is the day, it starts the day they eat the Passover. And they're like, where are we gonna eat it? Where should we make preparations? And Jesus tells them this in verse 18. He said, go into the city to a certain man and tell him, the teacher says, my appointed time is near. I'm going to celebrate the Passover with my disciples at your house. So the disciples did as Jesus had directed them and prepared the Passover. What did they prepare? A lamb, completely whole, roasted over a fire with bitter herbs and unleavened bread. That's what they were preparing for that so they could celebrate it. Now, Jesus already knew, like I just said, he's gonna be betrayed by Judas. He already knows that this night after they eat the roasted lamb with bitter herbs and leavened bread, that he is gonna be arrested and the very next day he's gonna be hanging on the cross. He already knows this. So he's sharing this meal with them. It's a very emotional night. 
You might remember this is the night that Jesus washed his disciples' feet. This is the night that Jesus tried to comfort his disciples when he told them, I'm going away from you. Do not let your hearts be troubled, Jesus said. A lot of things happened this night. And during this meal, they would definitely be eating the bread, the unleavened bread, and there would definitely be the fruit of the vine or wine served at this meal. And many uh, experts believe that by the time we get to the time of Jesus, that the Passover meal had kind of been broken up into multiple courses, kind of like we do. We have appetizers and we have salads and we have the main course and desserts, multiple courses. There's a part of this meal where there would be bread and wine served and or just during part of that meal. At some point though, Jesus, he took the bread and he took the wine. And there's no doubt that the disciples, even that night, understood that the wine was symbolic of the Passover lamb that shed its blood that they put on the doorpost. And there's, there's no misunderstanding among the disciples that the unleavened bread um, represented the day that the Israelites basically ran and marched out of Egypt in haste and in readiness. Jesus, during this meal, he takes these two elements of Passover, bread and wine, and he uses these two specific elements to illustrate what he himself is about to do on the cross as the fulfillment of what God promised. So in Matthew 26, verse 26, it says this. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he gave it to his disciples saying, take and eat, this is my body. And then he took the cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. So Jesus is taking bread and he uses it to specifically illustrate what he's about to do. Take and eat. This is my body. Luke's gospel adds this detail for us. That Jesus said, when you eat this bread, you do this in remembrance of me. So just like the Passover meal was a remembrance meal, Jesus is keeping that with Passover. You are to eat this in remembrance of something else. Not so much now God's deliverance of Israelite from Egypt, but this will become a remembrance of your deliverance from sins and what Jesus is doing. It's a powerful illustration that Jesus' own body is gonna be sacrificed. And in the future, when Christians, believers in Jesus, when they gather, they will remember this sacrifice. And then in the same way, Jesus took the wine that they would drink during Passover meal. And the wine symbolizes now not the blood of the Passover lamb that was spread over the door frames of the houses, but it will symbolize now the blood that was poured out out of Jesus' body on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins. Now, now, when you think about that connection with the original Passover, it's pretty powerful, isn't it? The blood applied to the doorpost and the blood applied to the cross and the blood applied to your own heart. It's pretty powerful. So when you gather in the future and you eat this bread and you drink this wine, you remember what I've done for you. And it is a new covenant it is a new day. Something brand new is happening among the people of God. 
Paul says it like this to the church in Corinth in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three: The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Covenant, an agreement. This is a new agreement between God and mankind. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For who, whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So the very night during the Passover meal, Jesus is in the very essence proclaiming, I am the Passover lamb who is shedding his blood as a substitute for the people. That he is the one who is able to save and protect people from sin's worst consequence. If you believe, remember what I'm doing. I can save you from sin's worst consequence, which is death and an eternity without God. And this is Jesus' acknowledgement that God's wrath will come. His judgment is coming. Because of your sin, there is a wrath coming. But Jesus is saying, I can save you from it. I will sacrifice myself for you. So as not to sound redundant, I just want to be clear. As Israel was covered the night of Passover by the blood of the lamb, that's the old covenant. Now the church living under the new covenant, we are covered by the blood of Christ, our Messiah. Jesus is the very fulfillment of the Passover lamb of God who died for the sins of the world. And every time that we gather and we take communion together, we look back at the death of Christ, but we also look forward with great anticipation to the second coming. So the question is, do we celebrate Passover today? And the answer is yes. In the spirit of Passover, we have a meal that reminds us of our deliverance and that continues for generations to come as a lasting ordinance. Our focus and our remembrance is the fruit of the vine and the bread which symbolizes Christ's body and Christ's shed blood. And so our meal of remembrance is solely focused on how you and I have been forgiven and delivered from our sins through Jesus' death on the cross. And that is why, my friends, that it only makes sense for believers to share this meal. If you go back in the Old Testament, there was uh, in the Exodus, we're gonna read this later, but there's a whole group of people besides the Israelites that went out of Egypt with them. And God gave very specific instructions about these other people. They cannot participate in the Passover if they are not a part of my family. And what was the, what was the marker in the Old Testament of somebody being a part of God's family? Circumcision. I didn't make up the rules. Those are God's rules. But that was the mark. And without it, you're not a part of God's chosen. So the instructions were, you come and submit to what God wants through circumcision, be a part of God's family, and then you can participate in the Passover, that joined deliverance of God's people. And so when we think about this meal of remembrance today, it doesn't really make a lot of sense for unbelievers to participate because they don't believe. So who is this meal of remembrance for? It is for God's family. It is for 
the church. And the church started on the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2. That was the day that the Holy Spirit came down on the disciples just a few days after Jesus ascended into heaven and the disciples filled with the Spirit went out in the streets preaching about Jesus Christ whom they killed and, and crucified and, and then raised to life. And there was this message of repentance and follow the Lord. And what does it say there in Acts chapter two? That about 3,000 people believed and repented of their sins and were baptized and filled with the Holy Spirit. And the church was born on that day. And if you keep reading in Acts chapter two, those very first Christians, they were devoted to four things. Do you remember what one of the four were? The Lord's Supper. Bread, fruit of the vine, remembering what? Christ's sacrifice on the cross. Who, in the earliest days, when the Christians celebrated this meal of remembrance, they remembered it in a very powerful way. Why? Because they were there. They saw Jesus on the cross. Now, can you imagine just for a moment how powerful that would be in those earliest years of the church when they would gather together, break bread, and share the fruit of the vine in fellowship with one another, and they would stop, and they would pause, and they would worship. It was something they were devoted to, and they remember the view of Jesus hanging on that cross as they eat that bread and drink from the fruit of the vine. It's powerful. So, for us, we do too have a meal of remembrance, and it's something that Christians have been doing now for 2,000 years. And with that in mind, I'd like for you to take out that set of communion that you picked up on your way in here today. <clears throat> and you might be holding this in your hand and going, this is very small, but I can tell you it's very large in significance. And you might also be wondering, if this is a meal, I'm gonna go away hungry. This was never meant to fill you up physically, but oh boy, is it meant to fill you up spiritually. Inside here, you're gonna find a piece of bread. So would you peel back that layer and take out that little piece of bread, almost like a cracker. And then all of a sudden, we're transported back to that night of the original Passover with Jesus and his disciples when he said, he broke the bread and he took it and he said, this is my body. And ever since that day, Christians have been eating bread like this, remembering Christ's body that was sacrificed for, for us. How he literally took the place of the Passover lamb for us. You, you see, before Jesus the people of God had to continually make sacrifices and shed innocent blood for the atonement of their sins. That's how they found forgiveness. The Bible says that without the shedding of innocent blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. And so now Jesus is saying, I'm gonna give up my body and the old covenant is gonna go away. And the new covenant, the new agreement that you can become saved and your sins are forgiven because of a once and for all sacrifice by the true Passover lamb has happened. So as we eat this bread today, let's thank the Lord for his sacrifice and let's remember specifically Christ's body that was given for us on the cross and let's let this bread take us back to that moment. Let's eat together.
Dear Heavenly Father, we just lift up our praise to you today as we remember the most significant moment in our lives, that you died on the cross for us, that you sacrificed yourself. So Lord, we honor you today as we remember this very specific thing that you did for us. We thank you, Lord. Now, if you flip that cup over and peel back this layer, revealing the grape juice, the fruit of the vine. Some of you are wondering, where's the real stuff? Wrong denomination. (laughs) What you're holding is a symbolic little cup of juice that reminds us in this meal of remembrance that Jesus shed his blood for the forgiveness of our sins. And just like the Israelites were saved from the destroyer, when God's wrath came, the blood of the lamb saved them. God's wrath is gonna come again, you know. And the blood of the lamb is what's gonna save us today. And we are reminded of of Jesus's shed blood. You know, when the Israelites shared their Passover meal every year, their children asked them, what is this? And it's an incredible teaching tool. And parents, I'm just gonna tell you, your children are gonna wonder one day, what is that? Mama, Papa, what is that? What are you doing? The Lord has built in for you a teaching moment and you should not pass it up. Oh, son, we eat the bread because Christ gave up himself on the cross and we drink the juice because he shed his blood on the cross and without that, we could not be saved. And one day you're gonna understand this, what it means to walk with Christ. And this will mean something very significant to you too, just like it does to me and your mom. Don't pass up teaching moments that God builds into your life. Let's drink this juice together and be reminded of Christ's salvation through his shed blood. Oh God, again, we lift up all praise and glory to you for you are truly worthy. And Lord, we thank you for saving us. We don't have the ability to save ourselves. We need you. And so Lord, as we have remembered your death and on the cross, let us not forget your resurrection as well. And Lord, we so much look forward to one day in the great banquet halls of heaven, sharing this meal with you again. In Jesus' name, amen.